Today is Sunday, January 15th, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. It's episode number 192 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron and Audible. Go to audible.com slash try now for a free audiobook alongside a 30-day trial period. This week's show will feature Nate Duncan. He up dunked on and the Twitter NBA show. Nate and I will primer the Eastern Conference much the way Nate does on his show. Just here, of course, on Celtics Beat. Going to be viewed a little bit more from a lens of the Celtics. That's coming up later in the programming. ESPN's Kevin Pelton is also on the dock. He is this week's bonus content available exclusively app listeners download the free CLNS radio mobile app and listen to this show to get access to our segment with KP and lastly but nowhere nearly leastly nor lastly he's batting leadoff dear friend of the network Chris Vivlemore Hawks beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution when will he be here how about right now welcome back to CLNS radio Viv thank you very much for having me I always appreciate it oh this reminds me one thing. Uh, before I do forget, I got some grief for not continuing to give out details over the prior weeks of January Celtics ticket giveaway. So real quick, I promise, pair of tickets for January 30th Celtics-Pistons matchup at the Garden. Enter by simply giving a rating for Celtics Beat on iTunes. Boom, that's it. Click a button on iTunes, rate this podcast, and that's it. Done. Okay, Viv, throwing it back to you. We can get to the game, but I have to start with Al Horford, who was the predominant topic here on last week's show with Coach Nick. Can start off with you, pretty point blank. You are the Hawks beat reporter. You have watched a lot of Al Horford over the years. Uh, lots and lots of Al Horford. I hate posing a question like this, but our listeners saw Coach Nick's video breakdown. Has he, quote unquote, from what you saw Friday night, lost a step, particularly defensively? Um, I don't know if I would go that far. And and I saw the video, which was very well done, and and, and pointed some things out. I just think there are he's playing so much more on the perimeter which he started to do at the end of his Hawks career. Um, and there are certain matchups, I think, that he can't uh, – he, he's not the best at. Um, but he – it's interesting because I think he, in some ways, prefers to be out there offensively, but defensively might want to be banging underneath a little bit more where his height can, can have some impact. Um, and so I, I, I don't know if he's lost a step. I mean, maybe he's been in the NBA for this is his 10th season. Um, I also think part of it with the Celtics is adjusting to a new system where he needs to be and things like that take, take time to, to know instinctively, I need to be here. I need to be there. And maybe he's been caught out of position a little bit. I don't want to sound like I'm defending him a hundred percent, but I think just kind of a change in where he is on the floor might have something to do with that. No, I definitely want to get into that, Chris, uh, because there there are some you know reports or just inklings out there that there has been a little bit of a resistance to play center, particularly defensively. He does play it in spot minutes with a small ball lineup, but he is there. How much is there to it that he has a a greater preference to be predominantly a power forward, particularly and, and guard those types of players? I mean, I think that's no secret. I mean, he made it clear when he was here that, you know, that's the position he preferred to play. The reason he kind of did it the last three years in Atlanta was because in the Hawks system, that four and the five are kind of interchangeable. And he was able to be out um, on the perimeter a little bit more, at least offensively. Uh, and so I think that helped ease him. I remember a couple years ago, the Hawks had two first-round picks 
Uh, and we asked Al, like, who do you think they should pick? And he picked two centers. Uh, and I'm, I'm not mistaken, Kelly Olenek was one of them. Um, just so even then he kind of wanted to see them get a, get a center so that he could become a, more of a power forward. Um, I kind of think it's interesting, though, with the Celtics, offensively, he was one of the best mid-range shooters in the game for a big man. Uh, and that's almost been taken out of his offensive repertoire a little bit. And I wonder if that has something to do with kind of adjusting to the new system and maybe he's not completely happy or set yet. Is, oh, is he happy in Boston? I mean, we know he's a pro. There are inklings here that he may not be. I mean, the media did tr- didn't really treat him. If you want to go into that, I know you know that story about him missing a game due to the birth of a child and, in the Boston right. media, that's something that it just it doesn't really exist outside of here. And that was some of the more hidden storyline as well in Boston's win back on Friday was how it was a real watershed moment for Al in terms of assimilating into being a Celtic. You were as close to Al as anyone. In fact, he gave you his, his exit interview from Atlanta exclusively to you. So is there anything you can tell us there in terms of his happiness? Let's, let's go right to that. I, I can't. I wish I could. I mean, I, you know, he moved on, and, and I kind of knew what, you know, the behind the scenes stories here was on why he, you know, chose the Celtics and didn't resign here. Uh, but I literally haven't spoken to him. I, you know, I called him uh, the day before this game uh, last Friday or this Friday um, and we caught up, but we didn't really kind of, he's too much of a pro to let that get out anyway. Um, and like I said, I, I just found it interesting the way he talked about his offensive role was different. Um, but I didn't get any inkling at all that that meant he wasn't happy. Now, that doesn't mean that's not the case. He just uh, didn't share it with me. Yeah, it just goes back to him just being the quote-unquote pro, but I think he has still said some very, very revealing things, just like you have said some very revealing things. We're here with Chris Vivlemore, Hawksbeat reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Have to take a very, very brief break. we got to get in a word from our sponsor, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back very shortly here on Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. As CLNS Radio continues its massive expansion across the realms of digital media, we are doing so thanks to our continued patronage from you, our loyal listener, as well as ZipRecruiter. The new year is giving CLNS and all businesses a fresh start, and a great year starts with making great hires. But posting jobs in one place is not easy enough to find quality candidates. From our experience, if you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter, you can jumpstart your hiring in 2017, Post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, Celtics Beat listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Welcome back into Celtics Beat. Larry H. Russell here. Chris Vivlamore of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution over there. Chris, I got a, I got a random theory, because this is another thing that came up on, on Coach Nick's video breakdown, was the declining rebounding. And that's something that, that you told us when, when he signed here. And, and it's that's something that anyone who really follows the NBA has been aware of. My random theory is him tearing the pectoral muscles. I think it was like two out of three seasons or something like that, but it was, I believe it was each yep. chest muscle. Um, is the, Does that seem to correlate with the rebounding decline? Is there anything to that, or is that just me just throwing picking something out of thin air? I, I don't know. I think there are times when you can see that um, 
he has the ball and gets it taken from him. Uh, and, and maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I just kind of think it was more you pushing him towards the perimeter and, and you're, and you've lost that, um, you know, underneath the basket presence, which, you know, the Hawks went out and got Dwight Howard because, you know, they wanted that. And I can tell you from inside the Hawks organization, there were nights they were, you know, not happy with Al when you look at the score sheet and he had two rebounds. Uh, but to me, that was the trade off of, you know, making him a stretch five and pushing him to the basket. Yeah, his defensive um, rebound. Oh, sorry, but go ahead. I interrupted. No, that's yeah, I was done. Yeah, no, his defensive rebounding rate though was continuing to go down. So you could see why it would yeah. affect him on the offensive end, but it, it doesn't doesn't right. seem to correlate though. But you know, it, Chris, you think I'd be describing a bum here with the way we just talked over the last five minutes or so? Uh, he's been a big part of their offense. There's no question about it. And defensively, as a five, he's been very, very good. I mean, he, he has had a major impact offensively. With what you saw Friday night, do you have any miscellaneous takeaways from Al Horford in terms of what he's been doing here in Boston thus far? Uh, I, I, I thought it was interesting, and I specifically asked Coach Stevens before the game about the fact that he's not you know, shooting that mid-range jump shot that he was so well-known for. Uh, and what I found enlightening about his response was that um, he's much too valuable as a playmaker is how he, he phrased his passes and things like that, spreading the floor. There obviously. is truth to that. Uh, right. And I just I just kind of found that you don't look at Al Horford and think playmaker. Uh, but I was interested that, you know, those mid-range shots are going to other players on the Celtics roster as opposed to Al uh, because he's too valuable with his passes and things like that, um, moving the ball. Um, so that was kind of enlightening to me. And then, so I watched for a little bit during the game, and you could see that. Now you really, this is where I really need your help. There was a game on Friday now, and now it's almost like ancient history. There were two playoff games in the NFL last night in each of our hometowns. So now, like I said, it's, that's almost gotten out of our memory so far from Friday night's game. So that's why I, I need your help on Friday yeah. night. Give me some general takeaways from that one. Um, Isaiah Thomas is really, really good. Um, the Hawks continue to have a problem defending the three-point line, um, and I thought that was um, evident even more so with the Celtics, and I think that's going to come to play uh, when these two teams play again. Uh, and then if they meet in the playoffs, because you know, you're sitting at three and four right now, uh, so something could happen down the line there. Um, and then just kind of the fireworks between Isaiah Thomas and, and Dennis Schroeder, I think this is going to be a rivalry Um for a while here. I mean, you've got Isaiah Thomas running to the bench after getting taken out in the third quarter saying he ain't nothing, he ain't nothing. Um, and Dennis Schroeder accused him of talking about his mother and his family after Uh-oh. the game. No, and that's then, out of bounds, uh, huh? And then actually specifically tweeting at me, Isaiah, saying that's false. I never said that. I would never trash talk that way. So um, I think that storyline, which obviously, as you remember in the playoffs last year with the slap, started uh, and the meet me outside um, is continuing here. And so I'm, I'm going to be fascinated on February 27th to see in Boston to see how this continues. Like I said, we got that February 27th circled in red, but that's more so to talk to you again, though. But I remember when we, when we were here doing a little season preview here in September, you said that Boston just si- simply signing out Horford, that leapfrogged them over Atlanta from the last year's playoff series. Do you still sort of feel that way here in mid-January of 2017? Yeah, I mean, here was a game on, on Friday night on the Hawks' home court, um, and they were down by 20 to this team. And I kind of think, you know, the Hawks had won seven in a row at to that point. 
Uh, but to me, this showed that the three top teams in the East are clearly the Cavaliers, the Raptors, and the Celtics. And then there's going to be a mess behind them. I don't think they played up to that level. They made a, the Hawks made a valiant, you know, return tied the game with 50 seconds left. Um, but they did it with, you know, three reserves and three you know, on the floor and three starters on the bench, including Dwight Howard and Dennis Schroeder. Um, and so I just kind of think at this point in time, you can see the separation between the two teams. There's time to make that up. Uh, and the Hawks still have to get used to playing with Dwight Howard, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, but at least at this point in the season, I think you see the line of delineation right there at number three with Celtics. But the, the real interesting way to look at this, Chris, and we're here with Chris Vivlamore of the AJC, is I mean, there's time to make there's time for the Hawks to make that up, but then there's also <laughs> that factor that they may not want to make that up, and they may go completely the other way. And I listened to Real GM Radio the other day with K.L. Shenard to get my primer on the Hawks prior to their game against the Celtics. I mean, that episode still available on the CLNS Radio mobile app if listeners want to check it out. So I'm gonna, I should probably ask you, um, where do you? Th- we, we heard what you think where the Hawks stand now, but what do you think their immediate future is going to be and how they're going to approach this trade deadline? Because I know there's always talk every year, the whole thing last year with Horford, but it looks like here they go again, and this time they actually did make a move. Yeah, Kyle Korver was interesting um, because he's one of those guys, and if you look how they made the, the Hawks made the comeback the other night, it was facing the floor with a smaller lineup and a shooter like Dunleavy who ended up making two threes. And so I, I thought that was interesting. And, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, that was going to be the first of several moves the Hawks were planning to make, and, and Paul Millsap was at the centerpiece. I think they, they were looking like, look, we need to get younger. Um, we need to give our young guys some playing time. You know, we've got to start looking towards the future. Uh, and then, the, you know, obviously there's a power struggle within that organization, and it flipped the other way. And Paul Millsap's going to stay, and they're going to continue to play around him, and I think, you know, at least make a run at resigning him. Uh, the thing I think they may do is uh, is a Tabo Cephalosha, a player like that. Um, they might move on to a contender if they can get a piece for him, an asset. Um, they've got some number one you know, some first-round draft picks stockpiled, and if they could get another one for, say, he or maybe even a Tim Hardaway, um, then you could become players in the summer, you know, maybe in the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes or something to that effect. Um, And if you lose Paul Millsap, you got some money to spend, you know, to bring in a top-notch player. So I think you're going to see changes in this organization next year, but I think they're content at this time to continue to build with what they have um, and similar to last year, like I said, they could have traded Al Horford. They could have traded Jeff T. They chose to stay you know, with them, make that run. I think they'll do the same this year. So I can see a minor thing, maybe Tabo Cephalosha moving. Uh, but mostly this team, I think, is going to stay intact for their playoff run. Chris Vivlamore, Hawks beat reporter for the AJC, follow man on Twitter. For all that valuable information that he just gave in, more at C. Vivlamore AJC. Viv, we'll see you here uh, end of February. Like I said, that's that date's circling in red for me. That's on my, it's my birthday, too, so let's celebrate. We will do so. Let's pause five seconds for station identification. You're listening to CLNS Radio, home to the original Celtics podcast, Celtics Stuff Live. Thank you, Chris. Yes, uh, another um, riveting and exciting, or just another win for the Celts. Just another win for the Celtics. What a weird season, though. The, the team, as hoped and expected, having a very good January thus far. Now, I was down at Bob Ryan's house at the beginning of the month, and I told him, no more than four losses this month, Bob. And right now, halfway through the month, they should not have an issue with that. But I say it's strange because, on one hand, the team's on pace for 52 wins. 
They shouldn't do any worse than a three seed and a sweeping generalization here for time purposes. There's been a lot of individual player development. In fact, I'd say just about all players of consequence have gotten anywhere from a little to a lot better with the exception of, I say, Kelly Olenek, who may still have some time here on his end. But in speaking of development, from a team standpoint, a growth standpoint, this time 12 months ago, Boston was a dreadful team in pressure situations absolutely dreadful. They couldn't win a close game to save their lives. And as we sit here on January 15, 2017, most clutch wins in the NBA at 18. Fourth-ranked offense in terms of efficiency and crunch time. And Isaiah, he leads the league in fourth-quarter scoring. So there's all that. And then there's all of that. Uh, Boston leads the league in clutch wins. And they lead the league in clutch wins. So could there be a regression to the means? Their actual winning percentage is many percentage points ahead of their Pythagorean win percentage. They have a point differential that is slightly lower in terms of what it should be reflecting uh, in terms of accuracy of their record. Could there be a funk still waiting around on the horizon that seemingly plagues every team over the course of an 82-game season? Have the Celtics had theirs yet? Uh, I remember last year, the string of flat performances around the holidays. Um, but really the most mind-boggling part of all this is you still have uh, Brad Stevens doing all this without settling on a couple of five-man units at key situations. There's still a lot of lineup experimentation. He still trots out seemingly different five-man units to close games every other night, or there's at least one change there. He, he's gone away also from five-man reserve units to start the second quarter, and now he's actually back to it a little bit. You see it in and around there. So it's just like... It's a good thing because the team is still 25 and 15 despite all this, and it's a bad thing because this really still hasn't been figured out, and it's hindered them in certain situations, and now we're more than halfway to the playoffs, so uh, blah. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, I don't think I want to wrap my head around that any more than I just did because the amount of overanalyzation it could lead to is frightening because maybe sometimes you do have to keep it simple and just say plenty of player and team progress and development or some issues that should be rectified when certain lineups are figured out, i.e. defense. And then rebounding, I'm thinking about that. But uh, boom, done, right? Uh, that it, should, it should almost be all that right there. Or is this where I say stay tuned to CLNS Radio's leading Boston Celtics coverage as we continue to unravel and solve the many mysteries of this 2017 team? Why, yes, Celtics stuff live tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern time. But I actually... I want to, seriously, I want to take this moment as I have a network announcement that I'd like and, and I'm very, very proud to make, and it will be of major interest to our Celtics and basketball-centric audience. Sam Vecini, uh, one of the most foreknown basketball experts when it comes to amateur prospects at all hoop levels, college basketball. Sam covers the NBA draft himself for Sporting News. His Game Theory podcast it's now available on the CLNS Radio mobile app. You see Game Theory charts in the sports department on iTunes, and for good reason. I am an avid listener myself. I have a keen interest in the ins and outs of college basketball, and especially its top prospects with Boston's possession of the Nets pick. And I know many of you uh, know this already, but for those who don't, Sam is phenomenal with this stuff. Trust me, that's uh, the Game Theory podcast on the CLNS Radio mobile app. You'll also hear Sam on various CLNS programming in the coming weeks. He'll be on with Justin on Celtic Stuff Live, not tomorrow, but the following week. He's a frequent guest on Danny LaRue's Real GM Radio. You'll probably see him on Celtics News Feed, so one more shout-out to the mobile app. And as stated, too, Kevin Pelton, today's bonus content available to those listening to Celtics Beat on the app. You know, once again, won't be able to do a mailbag. We're getting our studio clean tomorrow, so I won't be able to get a video up. But I also won't have a guest on the pregame show for the Hornets game, but I do have a report coming out for the Newsfeed channel. But I got a lot of tweets to my 
at CLNS underscore LHR this week on Marcus Smart that I'm not going to be able to answer, answer, excuse me. And they were all over the map, all over. So Kevin and I, well, mostly Kevin, but Kevin talked to Marcus or talked Marcus Smart and his progression, development, and game. For one final time, though, don't come at me with where's the Pelton interview. It's on the app. It's on the app. So, all right. So, okay. The Celts this morning sit a third in the East. Something tells me a lot of mornings in the coming mornings, afternoons, evenings, and nights that the Celtics will be third in the East. And I just don't see them going anywhere from that spot, neither up nor down. But that's just me. What about this East? You know, I haven't really checked in on the greater picture of this conference in detail in this space thus far. It's always been that tunnel vision of what is directly in front of us. So what a great idea it would be to go around the conference and truly see Boston's standings. Why, that's just what that is what we will do. <laughs> Featured guest segment with Nate Duncan coming up next. Did you know that Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country? Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Achieving this by supporting more sustainable food system and setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Home chefs means cooking together, which means greater family bonds. Personally, I look forward to Fridays when I get home after a long day of working and see a box of fresh ingredients sitting on my front porch, perfectly chilled, under the perfect temperature, produce comes in impeccable, the proteins are delicious, and the recipes are fun. I'm so looking forward to January and February because I know I'm going to be getting spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage, pork chops and garlic piccata with scallions, rice, and spinach, mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime and sour cream. How can you ask for more? You don't have to. Blue Apron is free to you. You'll get three free meals and free shipping. All you have to do is go to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. That's blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. Three free meals, free shipping, zero risk, fresh ingredients, the perfect start to a brand new year. Welcome back into the show. Okay, featured guest segment time. Nate Duncan, host of the Dunked On NBA podcast and co-host of the Twitter NBA show. Nate, thank you much so much for joining us. Excuse me on this early Sunday morning. I can't speak appropriately. Nate, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Glad to finally be on, Larry. Nate, uh, it's, it's so glad to have you because I, I think there's no better person to do this segment here with you. Is It's you and your, your Dunked On podcast, Gaby. It really drove me to reach out and conduct this segment with you. So once again, thank you for responding to such a request. But rather than going 15 and 60, in the name of efficiency, efficiency, you've never heard that word in discussions as it pertains to the NBA, huh? But uh, I'd, I'd like to make this say, I don't know, 11, maybe even 10 and about 25-ish. And, of course, we will do so <laughs> looking at it with a little bit of a Celtics vantage point. So we'll start off by asking you this. Who can we rule out of being as any of a factor or making even the most minute impact on the landscape of this 2017 NBA campaign in the East? Can we safely say it's Philly, Brooklyn, yay, uh, Miami, Orlando? Am I missing a team there, maybe even a New York, or that we can add to that class? Yeah, you know, I think the Knicks winning over the Bulls was important. If you look at some of the playoff projections, I like to use 538's uh, projections. They've got the Knicks with a 26% chance at the playoffs still. I mean, you might even say that it should be lower than that because they've been playing so poorly, and that Bulls team was gutted with no Butler playing, no Miritich playing. The Magic, they're kind of in the like 10% range projected to finish with 32 wins. 
I'm not going to write them off absolutely completely because I think they do have talent there. I do think that Aaron Gordon's been playing better. Frank Vogel is a good defensive coach. Maybe they can just start to find it defensively. That's really been the big disappointment for them. But obviously, long shots for, for both of those teams. And then you have this morass above them, really, between the Pacers, Bulls, and Pistons. I look at them as all really uh, struggling in that race for the eighth playoff spot. And I would say that teams like the Wizards, Bucks, Hornets, and Hawks, maybe a tier above them. I want to get your thoughts. I want to pinpoint on the Pistons as of now because you've been sort of, correct me if I'm right, but it seems like you've been a little harsh maybe on some past 15 and 60s on dunked on on them. Maybe just because I think maybe just I I think I've heard you say you just don't like to watch them. Uh, But that was a team that came into the season. I know Kevin Pelton was very high on them and hit his projections. Uh, That's a match, a team that's not a really good matchup for the Celtics, of course, with their size, yet they're not the best rebounding team for whatever reason. So if you really want to just primer them and take the floor, because I think it's very interesting that they've underachieved thus far. And I know they've had the Reggie Jackson thing, but uh, that's Still a lot when you consider it is the Eastern Conference after all. Yeah, I hadn't been watching them as much because I felt, hey, when they don't have Reggie Jackson, one of their best players, that there's really – I wasn't going to learn that much about like how good they would ultimately be. And they managed to stay 500. Things were looking very good for them. I think they were 11 and 10 at one point. Reggie comes back, and they go through something like a 4 and 11 stretch. Then they start playing a little bit better of late. They had a nice win earlier in the week in double overtime. And then I saw them a few days ago in Oakland against the Warriors, where I'm based, and uh, KCP had an injury with a shoulder that had already been bothering him, and that looked re- really ugly. Uh, as we're talking now, we haven't don't know the severity of that, but if he's going to miss significant time, then I think they might actually really be done because, well, he may not be their best player. That's arguable. He's definitely their most indispensable player. They don't have another guy on their team who can actually guard on the wing and play and hit threes. So now that you're going to be playing Stanley Johnson a ton and, and he would be pretty limited. So it's uh, despite their issues, they were maybe starting to find some light at the end of the tunnel with this re- recent stretch. Uh, but we'll see what happens with them now because KCP is really important if he's going to be limited or if he's going to miss time. How do we tear this in the East? I know this is something that Danny loves to do on Real GM Radio, be it with Kevin Pelton or Ben Golliver, which usually likes to do every you know once a month or so. But I mean, I, if you want to tear it, or maybe in food pyramid, and that's sort of something I like to do because <laughs> I love food. I guess you really start off with the grain section. Of course, this is having. Oh this... uh, man, that that food pyramid is is outdated. That's that's from it the eighties. Oh, I know it is very outdated. Uh, that, but... People people are blaming that for our our nation, like you know, gaining a bunch of weight now that we're eating that, too much uh, bread, too many carbs all that bread and gluten and garbage carbs <laughs> and gmo bread so we, we, excluding the orlandos the phillies miamis and the brooklyn's then i think that actually plays perfectly into this who who are the who is the bread and the cereal and the uh and the in the gluten of the eastern conference then is it really start at that detroit new york chicago yeah well, well i think yeah you know i think that that group it, it's like you know, people used to think that bread was good, right? And so uh, people used to think that the Pacers and Bulls and Pistons and Knicks might be good. But now, you know, you can't have too many servings of those. Only one of those teams, I think, can make the playoffs between the Pacers, Bulls, Pistons, and Knicks. So it's actually uh, quite an apropos analogy. Yeah, I think I think it's actually two. Unless, um, so let's see. Let me, let me see. I'm, no, actually... it's, uh, I've got, uh, I think, Wizards, Bucks, Hornets, Hawks. That I would say that that's like, that's, Four, that's it looks like four class. through seven to me. 
Okay, and then Cavs, true. Raptors, and Celtics, that's three. So you really, you've really you only got one spot left between Pacers, Bulls, Pistons, and Knicks, which uh, certainly we- would be a disappointment for their fans coming in because I think all, th- all four of those teams really had high expectations for the season. Yeah, a lot of the expectations from from New York, they always seem to have higher expectations whenever they do. So <laughs> I even I go back to when they um, it was like like almost ten years ago now, where they picked up like Zach Randolph and David Lee all in or what well, Lee they oh, already yeah. had there, but it was just a disaster. This sort of seem just seems like that was going to be the same thing. If you just look, I don't know. This is a too simplistic way of looking at it, but their defense is atrocious, and they have a. They have by far the lowest point differential of any of those teams even mentioned. It looked like the, I said, who did I say this? It might have been Bob Ryan when we were when we were shooting that film together, and he was talking up the Knicks. And I just said, Bob, wait till they go through a little adversity. That's going to happen. And sure enough, little adversity. They got the story the other day with Derek Rose. So call that a little adversity, as you may. If you had to bet to bet on it of those teams. Uh, so call it Pacers, Wizards, Bulls, Knicks. Yeah, Charlotte should be safely in. Atlanta is definitely safely in. They've been having a weird season. Um, if you had to bet on it, then one of those teams is out. Which one would you pick? Um, that's out for sure. I mean, it, uh, yeah, I mean, probably the Knicks would, would be the lowest. You mentioned the point differential. I think they're also most susceptible to health concerns. I think of all those teams, I like the Pacers the best. They just have the most talent probably the least health concerns. Uh, the Bulls, that will be interesting now that they've removed Rajon Rondo from the starting lineup, although now it looks like he's going to be back playing in a bench role. Uh, but once Jimmy Butler returns, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think these two games against the Wizards and Knicks, where Butler really is, has been out sick, those two games could really cost them uh, since those are teams that they're fighting with. It'd be interesting to see there. But I would say that the Pacers first, and then the Bulls, the Pacers have the least in, in terms of injury concern. So I, I think, I, and probably the most talent among those teams. So I, I would go there, even though, of course, none of those teams are perfect. So one last question then to get off the gluten class and the GMO class here, of course, being at the Celtics show. Which would you think, in a hypothetical, is the worst matchup for the Celtics of those teams? I think, no question about it for me, it would be Chicago. I know they've just looked a little funny all year. I would like to think that Rajon Rondo is going to be out of the equation by the end of the year. And then they still, I guess, have those cliches that seem to work. They've got proven playoff experience, quote-unquote. They'd have the best player in the series. And, of course, they do have size. They are one of the best, better rebounding teams in the league. Yeah, that, as we know, this for the Celtics, uh, defensive rebounding has long been an issue here in, the, in this current iteration of the team. And Al Horford, for all his gifts, has not particularly helped that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that the Bulls will get that high, though, if you're thinking that the Celtics will be the three-seed and – uh, it's looking that way they that they're safely there. there. I can't imagine yeah. it be any worse than that. Yeah, or so better. You're probably looking at like Bucks, Wizards, maybe Hornets and Hawks as potential uh, Celtics opponents here. So that's the vegetable class. Then moving along to the vegetables. <laughs> Even though I, I do love my veggies, so I don't know how we how we would boo something like this or Brussels sprouts or asparagus or whatnot that aren't overly delicious. Although steamed Brussels sprouts with some fat <laughs> on it uh, is very good. So I guess I could move more towards that little vegetable servings class. Um, is that safely then? 
Atlanta, Milwaukee, Indiana, Charlotte. I really don't know which one to start with because I think Indiana and Milwaukee are very interesting in that I think Milwaukee is going to have a very good second half of the year. And then I also think Indiana has always been a very interesting team, largely because they've been a little bit of a wild card because they made so many changes over the offseason. And you just like to think that as all those players get acclimated because they do have talented players, they'd be better in the second half as well. So I really even know where to start. You may as well just take this floor away from me before I start rambling on forever and Nate. Yeah, I, I see the Pacers as a little bit lower. I, all those teams are quite volatile, right? Like the, the Hornets, they only really have one good big on the roster, Cody Zeller. He's pretty injury prone. Whenever he's been out, they've really struggled. The Hawks, Paul Millsap could get traded. You know, they said, oh, hey, we're taking him off the, the trading block. Like we're not trading him now. Yeah, well, that means they didn't like the offers that they got. And, and that's something that I think is going to go all the way down to the deadline because I, you know, I'm sure Toronto has the offer that they've made, probably centered around Terrence Ross and some picks, maybe Jared Sollinger or Patrick Patterson involved. That's not too sexy of an offer if you're the Hawks. But Millsap is probably going to leave as a free agent. The Hawks, a frugal organization, not in a bad way, but just they don't like paying old guys big contracts, uh, probably not going to pay Millsap's asking price. So at what point do you say, hey, we can't lose this guy for nothing? But then there have been reports that other teams with more assets, Denver, New Orleans, teams with better draft picks, even Sacramento, although I have no idea why they would trade for him because he's not going to stay because there. they're Sacramento. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So uh, as long as those teams are superficially in it, they're not going to just accept that Toronto offer because they know teams with other assets are available. So I think they are going to go right down to the deadline. And then there's the further complicating factor that they might actually start playing pretty well. They have been uh, doing well lately. And so maybe at that point they just bite the bullet and say, well, you know, we know we're going to lose them, but we can't gut this team that's actually doing okay that might get a few home playoff games. Uh, you know, this market can't deal with just uh, uh, dumping someone from what kind of looks like a – a playoff contender. The Bucks, as you mentioned, I, I think they could go either way. They've played over their head so far. Giannis and Jabari have been unbelievable. Is Giannis, he's a young guy. He could continue to improve, or maybe the league catches up to what he's doing a little bit. He's at the top of the scouting report, and maybe he takes a little bit of a step back from what he's been doing still, you know, will be a wonderful player. And then they could get Chris Middleton back from a hamstring injury. Does that help them? Is he going to be the same guy after, you know, a really severe hamstring injury that ripped it, it off the bone? That's a question. And the Wizards, another one. They've been playing some great offense lately, but they're always a health question mark. So worst matchup then of the vegetable teams to Boston? I think probably probably the Hawks would be it for me. Dwight Howard has been outstanding on the offensive glasses. You mentioned that that's a, a weakness. I think that Hawks team probably has one of the highest defensive ceilings in the league. Uh, they know the Celtics. They know Isaiah Thomas from having matched up against him last year. Uh, there'll be some emotional component there, too, I think, for Al Horford. Is that something that maybe he won't play quite as well against them? Uh, I think the, the Hawks probably have the most talent of any of those teams. And then you throw in the fact that their defense is really good. The Celtics team only has one creator, especially with the, the – uh, the Hawks like to do is trap the ball on pick and roll, take it out of Isaiah Thomas's hand. So uh, I think all of that uh, is really, you know, they'll play Dwight Howard more minutes in the playoffs too. I think that'll help them a lot because their defense with Howard and Millsap has been great. So if they're at full strength, uh, I would think they would be who I would least want to see 
if I were the Boston Celtics. All pending, of course, on what Atlanta looks like come February. I don't even know what the date is. 25th, let's call it obligatory yeah. there. Here's sort of an interesting question because it's the Eastern Conference is, let's be honest, not very interesting as much as we are talking about it, though. But it's interesting in that... I think you agree with me. The Celtics are going nowhere with that third seed. They're not catching Toronto for the two. I think as with you, I think Toronto could very well make a deal. And I like that team as much as is their offense is awesome. They match incredibly up with the Celtics. So the Celtics aren't going anywhere up climbing the ladder. And I just, I don't really think they'll do anything worse than the three seed. So that most likely sets up a semifinals matchup with Toronto. So I'll ask a question like this. Give me a percentage of you talking about the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals on the Twitter NBA show on the national games this May. Yeah, it, what are their chances of beating Toronto? I mean, it, number one, they got to get to that second round, obviously. Ooh, but we'll, oh, assume, okay. we'll assume, I mean, you know, this is a team that hasn't won a playoff series yet, you know, and there could always be injuries. But we'll assume full health. We'll assume they make it out of that first round. I think they're clearly better than any of those other teams in the East, as you said. Well, you don't have to entirely yeah. assume, then. Percentage of them being yeah. in the Eastern Conference Finals in, in, in May. Uh, you know, I'd put it maybe like 25%, something like that. I mean, when you look at both the chances of injuries, the chance of get, getting out of the first round, which they'd be favorites to do, but, you know, it's not a 100% chance, obviously. And then, I, you know, maybe they got about a third of a chance of beating this Raptors team in its current incarnation. If they were to get someone like Millsap, I think that that drops a little bit. And, and, you know, it's interesting because right now, as we talk about this, the Celtics are only a game and a half behind the Raptors for the two seed. It ain't going to happen. It ain't, trust yeah. me. It, no, it I mean, they have I, like I triple the, listeners... the point differential. I know, I know. Yeah. It is fun no. to tump them up, but it's just like. I'm going to well, throw cold I mean, water all over it. I think the listeners who are, you know, who are probably presumably a lot of Celtics fans might wonder why that is. I think it, one is just that the Raptors have the easiest schedule remaining in the league. Uh, that's one. They've been on the then West Coast the, twice. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. They, they've been out West twice, right? Uh, yeah, I think they have been. So okay. they're uh, they're pretty close to the end of that. And they've played. I mean, they've played both their Golden State games. They've already played Cleveland three times. Uh, I think they've played the Spurs once already, you know, so they don't have that many really super hard games left. Now, if they don't make a trade, I think you have a better argument that the Celtics might play better than they've played so far because Crowder has missed time. Horford has missed time. I think this defense on the Celtics can improve quite a bit, whereas the Raptors, you've had Kyle Lowry just shooting out of his mind. DeRozan's been above his career norms. Guys like Terrence Ross and Patterson are shooting the lights out on threes. So maybe you could say that the Raptors, you know, aren't going to finish the season with the greatest offense of all time by points per possession where they've been most of the year. Uh, but still, I think that schedule issue is likely to be too much for the Celtics to overcome. And then if the Raps have home court advantage, that'll be really interesting, too. The Raptors typically have not played as well in the playoffs. Uh, I think that the Celtics have good guys to guard DeRozan, uh, who has been able to be shut down at times in the playoffs by really good defense. So it'll be a good matchup. I think it'll be a very competitive series. But with the Raptors having home court, you would have to give them the edge still there. Yeah, Michael Grange was talking about that with me on the pregame show here during the week when Boston was in Toronto back on Tuesday saying that, oh, Lowry and DeRozan in the playoffs, they've been slowing down. But Lowry and DeRozan against the Celtics, either one of them is going for 35 or 40. DeRozan had 41 back on Tuesday. Lowry had yeah. 34. And, and we, saw, we saw, too, that, that game you mentioned on Tuesday, they just went after Isaiah Thomas, right? 
the very end of the game, and roll. right at the end of the yeah. game, they, Isaiah found himself on uh, what was it, DeRozan, and then he shot right over him like he wasn't even there. And then at the very end, and then right after Lowry just blew by him like he was. It's funny you always hear Chris Forsberg will say, "Oh, the solution with Isaiah, is just throw him in the corner," and then you know, don't, always seems yeah. to find his way uh, on on at the end. Yeah, of the yeah, because they're just going to run a small, small pick and roll and force the switch or you know if, if you otherwise if he's going to help and recover he doesn't really have the length to close out to a shooter too so yeah he can't be a difficult place to hide especially against a toronto team that really that's what they want to do is they want to get their matchup and go one-on-one they're not a high assist team the way the celtics are do you have any uh, other miscellaneous celtics thoughts because you mentioned their defense and coach nick just did a breakdown and i had him on the show here last weekend actually and he was talking there are some fundamental flaws there yet you do talk to many of those nationally they say oh you know what track record brad stevens may get things figured out they've still have really yet to settle on a lineup that really works they've been running different lineups out at the end of games seemingly every other every other game they seem to be doing something at the end usually like you know most teams have a lineup at the end of the games that they run out there i would say in 85 percent of the time celtics hasn't been the case but uh i don't know if you just want to talk about the defense uh any any claims about al horford it's all yours nate the floor is the floor is yours really to, to speak with celtics fans because i i sincerely believe they really want to hear from you as much as they do so on dunked on <laughs> yeah, so I think that Horford is really an interesting case because he, I think at this point in his career, is a center it, it, defensively. That's you know, as a storyline, I think. Yeah, as as a power forward, you know, he could start at power forward. I do think the Celtics could use for like fifteen twenty minutes a game someone who could just be a little bit more athletic at the center position. I think Amir Johnson maybe is past his prime in that respect. Someone to play next to Horford when teams start their conventional lineups. Maybe you can go with Al at center uh, uh, down the stretch. Just hope that you're not going to get killed on the offensive glass. He's still a very good defensive center in the initial action because he's his feet are so quick. He's a, an underrated rim protector because he just is able to get the, his body in front of guys. Uh, and then what he does on offense, too. I mean, a few centers can space the floor the way he does, and that really playing five out like that opens things up when you have a team playing a traditional rim protector. If you're going to say Valanchunas on Toronto, or for example, they lit up uh, Rudy Gobert in the jazz who've been one of the best defenses by spreading them out a, a couple of weeks ago. So Al is, is a very good player uh, to be sure. And I think that's what they really would like to have it. And maybe someone like Andrew Bogut could be a buyout candidate to help them because they still do have their room exception, which, uh, Although it starts to reduce about halfway through the season, still would be worth about two million. And we saw when they bought out David Lee last year, uh, the Mavericks were able to pick him up and pay him that full two million. So the Celtics would probably, for anybody on the buyout market, they would be able to match the most competitive offers just about. And uh, I think that could be a, a way to upgrade, just get a little bit of something there for 15 minutes a game against other teams starting units uh, and. Uh, that maybe could help the defense a little bit. Maybe you play great defense during those times, and, and that's what lifts them up to uh, the level that they've been at before. Very interesting cap knowledge from a capologist, Nate Duncan, host of the Dunked On podcast. One brief thing before we talk about a little about Dunked On is I, it's, I just, it's almost too simple to say, hey, Al Horford's a center at this point in his career. The organization, they, they, I can say this point blank. Many in the, at the top of the Celtics organization, they view Al Horford as a center. There's just one small problem. 
Al Horford doesn't view Al Horford as a center. That was one of the things they talked about during free agency. Al, don't worry about it. You're not going to play center. I think that's going to be a lot that's going to be talked about more underlying in the second half of the year is Al Horford playing at center. But it's almost like Kevin Garnett, I think, five years ago. I don't know if you recall this, Nate, but sure, of course. Garnett yeah. hated playing center. But it was like KG. I mean, this is where you need to be. And they put him at center. They moved Brandon Bass into the starting lineup, and they had a great run uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals. I thought that team overachieved, overachieved tremendously. Their defense went from, I think, one of the worst, not only one of the worst names, but they were sort of like, I don't know, middle of the pack. And I think they finished the year pretty strongly in their five-man unit with Bradley and Garnett in the uh, starting lineup that went to the Eastern Conference Finals, I think was the best defensive five-man unit in the NBA that year. Okay, not going to go on forever about that. <laughs> I do want to talk to you about Dunked On. We have referenced it numerous times here. I mean, of course, this segment was driven by your 15 and 60 shows, which you run. And Nate, you know, we like to think that no one who listens to this show is likewise not a consumer of your content, or at the very least, aware of the <laughs> Dunked On Basketball Podcast, which is at, not just at the top of sports podcast, but one of the highest rated pods anywhere. I mean, see you at the top of the fold on iTunes daily. But as you and even I both know, the digital audience expands exponentially, seemingly by the day, and there's still this massive untapped audience that has yet to really fully grasp digital uh, consumption. I mean, I have anecdotes on my end. I mean, the Celtics have this great collection of old school fans. Like, I have people come to me, people who I I now personally know. I mean, some in their 50s, 60s, even 70s. You know, just not a consumer of podcasts or any digital or alternative forms of media. And, you know, for them, it's still 6 o'clock news, AM radio, or meet the press every Sunday morning. And they tell me, I've never listened to a podcast until yours. And you open me to a whole new means. So, nice way to subtly pat myself on the back, huh? But true story. But that sort of allows me to throw this to you to shout out Dunked On. So the podium is yours here, Nate. Yeah, Dunked On is basically a daily show. A lot of what we do during the regular season will be I'm out on the West Coast, so we'll record late at night after the games are over. So if you miss some games the night before, you want to listen on your commute going to work, uh, you can get really detailed breakdowns of the game. I think something that we're uh, Very providing in the podcast space that not a lot of people are. Uh, also, I'm a cap expert, so during the off season or around the trade deadline, we can really get into the weeds and the details about you know what transactions are available, what what's realistic, what isn't, you know, what, what do you think of free agent moves, that kind of stuff. Um, and then also, as you mentioned, we do that 15 and 60 every week uh, where we talk about all 15 teams in one of the conferences. Uh, 60 is optimistic. Usually it's more like 120 minutes. So, you know, so we'll do uh, we'll do a segment about the Celtics usually during that period, but also all the other teams in the East will be doing that uh, this Sunday. So that's a, a great way to, uh, I think uh, the greatest compliment we get is that people listen to the show and they say, hey, I, I really got more into the NBA, more into the details of the game by listening to your show. That's what we strive to achieve. It is on my podcast playlist, and we just heard said an example of the cap expertise just a few minutes ago there when you were talking about the Celtics buyout capabilities. And, of course, your Twitter NBA show. And, and Nate, I had your co-pilot, uh, Danny LaRue, here back in November, and, and this was just about when you guys were launching. I had a few episodes under your belt, I believe. Talked about what you guys were going to do. You're still making changes. I know I cannot help but notice the amount of viewers to your Periscope, so any updates on that venture? 
Yeah, it's a live streaming halftime and postgame show that's an alternative, again, to some of the lighter fare that doesn't get us into the details of the game uh, on your normal studio halftime and postgame shows. We do it once a week during the national games. We're going to start ramping up now as we get some national games on the weekend, doing it twice a week. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at NateDuncanNBA uh, or on Periscope at NateDuncanNBA if you want to uh, check that out as well. Paul Pierce returns to the Garden on Super Bowl Sunday on ABC. The NBA Twitter show will air during that game, I believe. Nate Duncan, host of Dunked On and the aforementioned Twitter NBA show. Mr. Duncan, hope you enjoyed your maiden voyage here on Celtics Beat. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Larry. I was afraid to go there with Cleveland uh, with an A. Notice how we stopped at the protein section. We didn't touch the cream. Or the coconut oils or whatever you consider healthy fat. Team LeBron still excluded from the mere mortals of the Eastern Conference. I like to think Toronto as much as I like that team because of how badly they go or how good they look against the Celtics. And really what they can do offensively and ridding themselves of that playoff bug last year and the potential for them with their roster flexibility to get some more firepower to go toe-to-toe with Cleveland. I just don't know. I, I you know, Let alone the Celtics aspect of things that I just, I just couldn't... Bring it up. I, yes, the Celts. For the third time in this show, they are now on pace for 52 wins and should have three more wins in the bank this week. Although, for as bad as Portland's played this year, they do have the guard play to give the Celtics uh, some fits. But anyways, Celts will likely cross the 50-win threshold for the first time since 2011. Yet I don't think Nate or anyone's ready for the how do the Celtics match up with Cleveland question. Uh, are we, in fact, I don't think. I know that. Uh, I know that. All right, music's playing. You know what that means. The conclusion of another episode. Music for this show was provided by Chuck Beats, Project R, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR. Facebook, facebook.com slash CelticsBeat. Once again, thanks to Nate Duncan, Chris Villamore of the AJC, and ESPN's Kevin Pelton. Today's sponsors were Audible, audible.com slash try now for free audiobook along with a 30-day trial period. Blue Apron and Zip Recruiter. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Justin Poole, and founder of the network Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.